How do you define a successful life? If your answer can be summarized as earthly excellence and sacred significance, you're at the right place. Join host Stephanie Smith as she shares three keys unlocking a life of lasting purpose. Learn yourself, love God, and live connected. You'll become smarter about yourself, skilled in human dynamics, savvy about the Christian faith, and strengthened to pass this wisdom on to upcoming generations. And now, let's get started. Merry Christmas! When this episode initially airs, it will be the week of Christmas here in the United States. And I wonder, is there a season that comes with more expectations than Christmas? I'm not sure about that. And I suppose that's appropriate because for years, the Jewish people had anticipated their Messiah. They lived in expectation that God was going to show up for them. And when he did, it didn't quite look the way they thought it would. And that wasn't just true back then. That continues to be true today. Today, I'm going to share with you a story from my own life in hopes that this will encourage you, whether as a parent or educator or just as an individual in some capacity, as you are in this season of Christmas and you find yourselves with expectations, not just pertaining to Christmas, but even expectations as to your own life and your calling and your purpose. It is wonderful and necessary to be able to have these visions of what we want life to be, what we want the holidays to be, because those are absolutely necessary for us to live a whole life. But we also have to be willing to adjust our expectations. You know, sometimes we put our heart and our soul into something as a parent, as an educator, and we have these ideas about how it's going to go and and the impact that it's going to have. And, And then it just doesn't quite go that way. Well, I want to give you a word of encouragement today by sharing with you a story from my own life that even when things don't go quite the way you have anticipated, don't doubt that you are still having an impact. When my five sons were younger, I had this idea about how we could do Advent. Now, I hadn't grown up with Advent practices being a regular part of my upbringing, even though I did have the good fortune of growing up in a Christian family, and we certainly kept Christ as the focus of our Christmas season, but it was still new to me. And so as I did my research, I realized very quickly that if we were going to have an Advent candles, we were going to have to have five. Because there was no way that I could get by with a traditional number of four with five kids. So I had this idea that every night we would gather around the table and all five boys would be scrubbed clean and they would show up with their clean pajamas and they would gather around the table with their hands folded and they would eagerly anticipate the Advent story. After a day of busyness and uh, often a lot of chaos as we were homeschooling, they would all know that this was a special time and they would show up and their eyes would be shining with anticipation and they would just be so eager to hear another part of the greatest story ever told. Why 
did it just turn out to engender so many arguments? Instead of hearing, oh, mom, I'm so excited. I can't wait to hear about tonight's part. It was something more like, mom, he blew out my candle. And the response to this from across the table would be, why, well, I, I, I didn't mean to. Or something that kind of sounded a lot like Eden. Wasn't me. Wasn't my fault. I'd strike another match and we'd relight the wick and then try to settle in for our night's reading. See, every evening we had this beautiful hardback book and it had fancy gold calligraphy on the front cover and we kept it in a special location. There were gold-leafed edges on the pages and When you opened it, untying the satin cherry red ribbon, the pages were this heavy-duty cardstock, and each page was just beautifully illustrated. And it had an ornate door, which when you opened the door on this page, had a passage that was inked in this gorgeous calligraphy that had swirls and flourishes. And each day it would tell a little bit more of the nativity story. Now, we had this time at our formal dining room table. During the day, this table hosted discussions about history and science experiments and art and craft projects, mail, and a lots and lots of laundry. It also bore witness to tears over a very hard math lesson, stress over a depleted checking account, and protest over a unfair parental decision. And so I would wonder, you know, couldn't this wooden witness to everyday life just for a few moments each day, for just a few days out of the year, bear witness to peace on earth, goodwill to men? So in the center of the table, after we had cleared off all of the day's ordinary work, there was a customized Advent centerpiece. Instead of the traditional ring with four candles, Ours was a sculpted oblong design, low on each end, that rose to a center peak. An assortment of white, pink, and gold silk poinsettias covered the display. Glossy green leaves added contrast, and at the center stood the tallest candle, paired on either side with two candles at stair-stepped height. I had deliberately designed the centerpiece with the five candles because I didn't want to do any more math. I did not need a math story added to this holy ritual. Let's see. If five kids observe Advent for 25 days with four candles, how many times will each one light and extinguish a candle? I had no time for that. We already had enough problems with math during the day. I didn't need to carry it over into the evening. Five sons, five candles. Everyone would have one to light and one to blow out. How hard could it be? As it turned out, quite astonishingly hard. These five tiny wax torches ignited nightly arguments. Here's why. Before we began our reading, someone invariably forgot and lit more candles than their own. Somehow their hand just moved from their candle to the left or to the right, and whoosh, what do you know? Another candle would be lit. 
Well, that wouldn't do for the other offended party, so then they would have to extinguish and relight their candles. And this wasn't accompanied by, oh, excuse me, um, I think you unintentionally lit mine. No, no, no. This was quite dramatic gestures, steely eyes that shooted very non-Christmassy, non-verbal messages to the offender. The kind of messages that melt somebody's heart and not from kindness. There just wasn't a whole lot of peace on earth, goodwill toward men that was carrying on at our dining room table. Finally, all five tapers would be lit by the rightful owner of that candle. And it was time for the night's reading to begin. Oh, maybe now everyone's attention could turn to the glorious story so elegantly presented in the album. Notice I said could. The wicks, it turned out, were wicked. You see, the dancing flames just captured the boy's attention. They seemed more intent on assessing just how hard could they exhale to make the flames quiver without actually quenching them. They were more focused on their breathing than they were their listening. This invariably caused someone next to them or across from them to accuse them. He, insert name here, is blowing on my candle. In addition to these incendiary incidents, there was the usual assortment of making faces, picking noses, and crossing with one's elbow, foot, head, or finger the invisible line defining personal space boundaries. Okay, you got to keep in mind, everybody was long out of diapers by this point. Instead of sitting up straight with hands folded and eyes bright, it was more of an assortment of a demonstration of the versatility of the human body. One would be a sloucher, not quite sliding off the chair, but coming about as close to it as possible. Then you had the yawner, who just couldn't seem to stop yawning throughout the entire 10 or 15 minutes. There was the squirmer, who just moved incessantly. The personal space invader, who just seemed to repeatedly cross into the personal space of the sibling next to them. And you had the shoulders slumped, head down, looking like someone was just about ready to either die or fall soundly asleep. However, as soon as the reading and prayers were over, everybody changed. All of a sudden, you have kids who are straight as a two by four, alert as an ambulance driver, still as a marble statue, poised as an etiquette instructor, and as self-contained in personal space as if they were an astronaut strapped in for launch. Why? Because it's time to put out the flames. Everybody was going to be able to blow out their candle. And of course, someone inevitably accidentally got carried away and not only puffed out their one, but another one or two or three next to them. Well, then the unjustly doused blazes had to be relit so the rightful custodian could blow out his candle. You know, the ratio of matches to candles proved something was quite a mess. And for me, 
Advent didn't feel as much like a sacred observance as a stressful ordeal. I needed more prayer afterwards than before. And yet, even though it seemed the only thing that mattered were the candle lighting and extinguishing rites, hearts were hearing about the light of the world. Every gilded page turned, every opulent door opened, every elegant script read, lit anew the gospel message, for unto you a Savior is born. So much of raising and educating kids feels like, why am I doing this? Is this making any difference? Why bother? And here's what I want you to hear. Impact isn't measured by immediacy. You see, most of the seeds that we sow into the lives of children and young people aren't like radish seeds. They're more like apple seeds. If you take a radish seed and you push it into the dirt, you can have a salad ingredient in less than a month, but you plant an apple seed and you're going to wait seven or more years before you can pluck the first fruit. And in that time, you're going to have to tend to that seedling, that sapling, and that tree So you're going to have radish moments, times when you're going to be able to see pretty quickly the impact of something, and you want to revel in those when those come. But realize this, most of what you're going to plant, you're going to weed, you're going to water, and you're going to tend, and it's going to be measured in apple years, not radish weeks. You know, I asked my all-grown kids what they remember about Advent, and I'd love to tell you that their eyes just became misty and they recalled all these precious memories of the nativity story. But alas, I cannot. Candles was a top response, followed by statements such as, I remember someone always blowing out my candle. Chaotic was another adjective, referring to the process of trying to corral everyone and getting them to the table. Another adjective that was mentioned was bored. One did offer a balanced approach and said, other than the emotional trauma, you knew something serious and important was going on. So no, it's not a matter that somehow along the way they transformed and had all of these amazing, lovely memories. But here's something else that they did have. Along with the candles and the chaos and the conflict, the apple seed of faith was being nurtured every Advent. And in spite of the accusations, arguments, and many acts of arson, belief was being cultivated. And each of them now have the flame of the greatest story ever told burning brightly in their hearts. And that's worth all the wicked wicks in the world. Merry Christmas, whether you are serving the young people as a parent or educator. Do not forget, my friend, you have an impact that is immeasurable, eternal, and irreplaceable. For information on speaking engagements and other resources, visit the website at stephaniepresents.com. Remember, learn yourself, love God, and live connected.